Hi, we here at the Markham Harmonica Party would like to thank our Patreon subscribers, Thomas B., Mickey A., Steve B., Swinging on the Spiral, JDW the Fourth, Douglas A., Jack O., Robert S., Woody B., Sunday S., Theo L., and Clive M. If you'd like to join our party, see us at patreon.com slash Mark Hummel. Hello, everybody. My name is Mark Hummel. This is Mark Hummel's Harmonica Party, and I am in the room. I'm in the wrong place. I don't play harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Uh, <laughs> we're in Eureka, California at the Redwood uh, Coast Music Festival, and I'm sitting here with Duke Roblard, who I go way back with. And uh, we're going to just talk about Duke's life and career and uh, how he got started. We're going to kind of start with that, because uh, I know you, <laughs> you just told me something that's kind of mind-blowing. So uh, you're from... Uh, are you from uh, what part of Rhode Island? Well, uh, Harrisville is the town that I grew up in. And uh, and basically, you've been in Rhode Island your whole life. Yeah, except for 10 years I spent in Kentucky. Oh, I that's in right. Louisville, in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. And I remember that. So um, you were just telling me that you you decided to start, to that you wanted to be a guitar player when you were? When I was six. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. How do you make that decision at six? My well, uh, first I, I was drawn to music. I, my first actual memory was being in diapers and sitting on the kitchen floor and hearing big band music on the radio that my mother was playing while she was cooking or doing something, um, and it just—I remembered it. I, I'm pretty positive that I remember hearing In the Mood, which is basically a 12-bar blues. Most of the song is based on a riff that's a 12-bar blues. And it, it just stuck in my head. I've got this theory that I've been here before and I did this before at another time. Who knows? I mean, I don't have anything to back it up other than feelings and memories kind right. of things that I react to. But when my uncle was a bass player in a country band in Rhode Island, the West Tones. They had a radio show on Saturday mornings. And, uh, and also, both of my brothers owned guitars, but I decided that I was going to be a guitar player when I was six, and that's what I was going to do with my life. I had asthma very young. I couldn't play sports. Um, so, uh, you know... I had to find something that interested interested me. I grew up in the in the sticks where I lived in Harrisville. It was very, very rural. So I occupied my time my pretty much by myself because there weren't a lot of kids real close by. So uh, once my brother got a guitar, and he would bring home all the records: Fats Domino, Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley. Uh, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis, uh, Buddy Holly, um, uh, Fats, you know, just all the, all the New Orleans and rock and roll records of right. the day. I didn't know what it was, but when I heard it, I remember my first thing that I really noticed about music is that my brother brought home the 45 of uh, Blueberry Hill 
and the piano, Fats piano introduction gave me goosebumps. I got goosebumps and I, I looked at my arm and I'm going, what is wrong? Something's <laughs> affecting me, you know? And it just, I, then the horns and the guitar and bass riff came in, you know, and I just went, this is it. You know, so I, this is probably the genesis for Roomful in a way. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I was yeah. always drawn to Fats, and yeah. you know, his voice was so warm that that yeah. Creole sound and yeah. uh, everything about it just yeah. was so warm and fascinating. You know, right. so I don't know. Fats just drove me nuts in the beginning. So all yeah. those tunes, ain't that a shame? And uh, the Fat Man, and you know, just all of them, right. all the hits and all the blues tunes. Yeah, in a way, he was kind of one of the real crossovers in terms of the connection to New Orleans and blues and rock and roll. Yeah, it took yeah. me so many years to realize that, I mean, it was in the 70s. I'm talking about the mid-50s. Mm. And it was, wasn't until the 70s that I really understood that most, a big portion of this music came from New Orleans. Right. I just, I didn't realize. I wasn't thinking... Because I, I, in Harrisville, Rhode Island, I mean, you have no idea. It wasn't like we have now with this, right. you know, videos and this books and this, yeah. you know, the, even the liner notes didn't tell you anything. Yeah, you had days. to really, you had to really dig everything up pretty yeah. much, yeah. And I think that, that, I think that's a really, it's great that kids today have the ability to learn and quickly find out about all this stuff. Right. But I also think about working hard. Yeah, I agree. To, to chase it, to find it. Absolutely. That's there was something. a thrill to it. Yeah, and it gives There's you a, a real like, thrill. A little yeah. soulful edge. I think. Yeah, no, yeah. you're right. We, we, we really come from a different generation in that yeah. in that regard. So um, your first band was, was it 1967 or something, or was it earlier? Than oh, that was Roomful. I, Roomful. I, was, so I had bands was, earlier than that. So I what had, was it? Do you remember the year of the first band? Oh, uh, let's see. Probably it would be... 62 or 3. Wow. I mean, I was, I had just yeah, started really playing. young, yeah. And uh, this is a good story. Uh, I, you know, my driveway was like a quarter of a mile long almost. It, I mean, it was like ridiculous. I lived in the woods and it was a dirt road down to my house. Right. Well, you know, I had these weird ideas when I was a kid. My brother used to go play football to practice or he'd go out on a date. And whenever he left, the house. I was in his room. I got his guitar because I, I wasn't allowed to touch it. You right. know, you can't play guitar. You know, <laughs> so I taught myself. I looked at his chords he made, and I learned them, and then I just taught myself. And uh, my brother had a tape recorder. I didn't have an amplifier, so I would take my brother's tape recorder, and I realized that you could monitor the guitar with the tape recorder. Right. And once I learned to play somewhat. I would put the speaker of the tape recorder out my bedroom window on the second floor. Why I did this, I, I never even knew why I did it. But I guess I wanted people to know I played guitar. <laughs> and I'm playing one day, and a, a guy comes walking down the driveway, and he knocks on the door. And my mother comes to the door, and he said, excuse me, who's playing guitar? I hear a guitar down here. He said, well, that's my son. So he said, can I talk to him? And she said, I'll go get him. And she called me and I came downstairs and this, this guy's a drummer uh, and he's starting a band. So he said, hey, do you want to join my band? 
you know, and you know, I had <laughs> I had just built my first guitar. Right. My dad helped me build it for a science project because I wasn't allowed to have a guitar. So my mother said, no way you're playing an electric guitar. You're not doing, you know, you're not doing what Elvis Presley does and what uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and Chuck Berry, all these crazy people on TV. You're not doing that. You know? <laughs> so I, uh, so I came up with a, a plan to build an electric guitar and we took a neck off an old acoustic my uncle gave me and we put it on an electric guitar and bought a pickup for 20 bucks at the local music store. And he, he painted it, my dad painted it for me and cut it out on a jigsaw. I drew a Telecaster shape. I didn't even know it was a Telecaster, I just knew. James Burton played one on Ozzy and Harriet every week with Ricky Nelson. Uh, and now did was, you wire it? Uh, yeah, well the pickup, it was a dearmament, so it right. screwed on the top oh, of the I guitar, see. and okay. then there was a little box with the volume yeah. and tone control, right. you know. So you just screw that on, and it's electric, you know. So I, um, anyway, I had this guitar, and that's what I was playing. Uh, or, or I might have been playing my brother's strap, but anyway, I did have a guitar. I didn't like playing it because it was kind of junky, and the strings were this high. And But anyway, the drummer said, you want to join a band? And I said, of course, you know. So basically, this was a, a week after my father helped me build the guitar. He mostly built it. But I won second prize in science fair, so my mother couldn't take it away from me. <laughs> and then this drummer comes down and asked me to join a band. So, you know, I was in a band a week later. Wow. Um, and that was a good week. Nothing could stop me. <laughs> yeah, it was. Nothing could stop me after that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So what kind of band was it? Was it a rock and roll band? It was an instrumental rock and roll band. Well, the other guitar player, there was two guitars. In those days, nobody where I lived played bass. Nobody had a bass. So it was two guitars. One guy would just turn the tone down to roll off the tone so it was dark sounding and play chords. And that was your bass sound. Oh, uh -huh, right, right. And uh, so uh, he would play rhythm and sing some tunes. And uh, and then I would play the lead, and uh, we did you know, Dwayne Eddy instrumentals, um, Link Ray instrumentals, right. all those kind of yeah. tunes, you know, all the instrumentals right. of, of the day that were the early rock and roll guitar right. things. So I had I did sing earlier, but um, I, I my mother had me take vocal lessons, and I did a re recital this is all going fast i'm sorry i'm talking that's, i that's, drank that's, too much coffee no that's fine that's good that's what we want uh i um i did a recital when i was about seven i guess or eight and in front of the all the students of the rhode island vocal teachers and i didn't realize i wasn't prepared for what it was going to be when i was in a basement of a big building maybe it was a some kind of a hall and when I came upstairs and went out on the stage, there were floodlights on me and my piano, the vocal teacher's playing piano. And, and uh, I, you know, I just I saw 500 people staring at me and I, I freaked out. I just, I started singing and they tell me, I don't really remember, I just remember being freaked out. They told me I simultaneously sang and cried. Uh, and I ran off the stage and I didn't open my mouth for another at least five years or more. Uh, I didn't sing another note 
until I, you know, I never quite get over that. Stage know? fright? Stage fright. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, if somebody told me you're going to go out there and it's going to be a lot of people and there's going to be bright lights blinding you, and, you know, but nobody prepared me. And I just went out there like, oh, ho, ho, all these people are staring at me. There's like 500 families of That's every yeah. vocal student in Rhode yeah. Island, you know, yeah. so. I remember not sleeping the night before when I played at my school one time. Yeah. Just not. I was so nervous. Yeah, I can understand it. Yeah. You know, you know, parents sometimes don't understand, uh, you know, how demanding that is. And, you know, sometime I would, my mother would make fun of me and I'd come out and she'd make me come out and play or sing for, you know, her friends. And I'd be all embarrassed and shy about it. But that that was nothing compared to five hundred people looking at me. Right. You know, like, <laughs> well, you're really vulnerable. I think that's you know that's part of what it is. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's kind of like going out on stage naked or something. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly what. It is. Yeah, a lot of people don't get that. So I it didn't sing then. So my band yeah. was instrumental, and it was years later till I was in high school that I sang it all. And even then, I didn't sing a lot. So your first band, you were about thirteen. Yeah, twelve or thirteen, something yeah. like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And when did you, when did you kind of uh, get into blues? Um, in high school, well, I got the first blues song I ever heard was the flip side of Maybelline, Chuck Berry, right? In the wee wee hours, right? I don't know why, but you know, kids, you think I the the up tempo Maybelline that would be right. the stuff I what I'd love, but when I heard in the wee wee hours, it just put me under a spell. You know, and it's so beautiful that that song and Chuck sings so great on that. And you know, it just that slow groove just mesmerized me. I didn't uh, know what it was. It was another one of those goosebumps moments. Right. You know? I right. almost get goosebumps. I am right, look, you're just thinking about it. <laughs> uh, so that that was you know my first experience with blues, and then. It became the mid, like 1964, 65, and the bands like the Animals and the Stones started recording all these blues songs. And I went, oh, that kind of sounds like that Chuck Berry tune or this and that. And so I started realizing the music was related. Yeah. And like most kids do, like noticing the names the of names, who wrote right, the song. Right. Willie That's Dixon, how I got into it too. Yeah. Morgan yeah. Field, and Willie Dixon, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, in a way, you got into it kind of backwards because yeah. I know I got into it through the rock guys doing blues songs, and that's how yeah. I found out about the old guys. But you yeah. kind of found out about Chuck first, yeah, yeah. Chuck, but only Chuck, you know. I right. mean, I the other guys I didn't recognize as blues, right? You know, but Chuck had that deep feeling instrumental, and then he had right. in the wee wee hours, so I, I knew they were something different, but I right. didn't know what, you yeah. Know? yeah. And then when I moved from Harrisville to Westerly, Rhode Island, uh, immediately the word got out that I played guitar and some of the guys in high school kind of clamped onto me and I was a really shy kid. So they, they like, you know, took me and wanted to find out what I was about and what I could do. And then they learned I was, I could play Chuck Berry stuff. And uh, they said, if 
you know, have you ever heard Muddy Waters? You ever hear Howlin' Wolf? You ever hear Little Walter? Ever hear Sonny Boy Williamson? Ever hear Memphis Slim? You know, so I, I went, oh, no. And so they just took me to their houses and just sat me in their bedrooms and played me all of those records. That's great. And then they said, you know what? Down the street in Newport, Rhode Island, they're all playing at wow. the, at the Newport Folk Festival. Wow. So, <laughs> so I, That's yeah. a hell of a, hell yeah. of a news break. Man. That was quite an introduction. In, in those days, they would do, you know, they'd have workshops. Right. In a sense, they were the best part. Because they would, they would set up li literally in the dirt. Mm -hmm. I, I have a memory, and I believe it's real. I don't know if I imagined it, but I remember seeing Muddy set up in the dirt, the piano in the dirt, and leaning over Otis Mann's piano and, and like watching his fingers. I mean, you could get that close. Nobody, wow. there was no security and yeah, things right, in those right, days. Right. You could talk, walk up to anybody and talk to yeah. them, and they'd gladly talk to you. You know. And so, would Muddy be talking? You know, while while they were doing the workshops, he didn't talk a lot. He might have, you know, told you what song he was doing or something. Right. And I really didn't meet him for years because I was afraid of him. I was, I was like I said, I was really shy. So right. all those guys, I looked at them as. There were such idols of mine that I would, right. you know, I didn't know, gods, how, basically. Yeah. 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 I didn't know how friendly they were, right. you know, till, till later on, till I was in Roomful, really, mm -hmm. and I started meeting them, yeah. and sitting, they'd have me sit in, you know, Muddy had me sit in, and Dick Waterman talked Muddy and let me sit in, I'm going, oh, no, I don't think so, you know, and, Hollywood Fats was his guitar oh, player. Oh wow! Okay, I know right when that was. Yeah, it was all, yeah. only he was the only guitar player, and right. and uh, and so uh, he said to, to Dick Waterman, "You sure this white boy should be up on stage with me?" You know, and I was going, "Oh shit!" You know, you know. He I was saying that about you. Yeah, oh, to, okay. yeah, because he hadn't heard me, didn't know who but I was. But he had Fats though. Yeah, but Dick <laughs> thought that it would be good for me to sit right, in with money right, with Fats. Right. You know, and I'd heard about Fats, but mm -hmm. I hadn't heard him yet. So I heard him with Muddy, and then he got me up, and then Fats and I would, ju would just immediately like this. Gel, you know? yeah. We yeah. just, it, it just fell together. Like, that must have been Without awesome. speaking a word. Right, really, you right. Know? You guys knew and the language. Just yeah. like we, we, uh, the other day when we were playing, uh, uh, um, with Joe, you know, right, right. That, that was just like it Billy. Just all, I didn't it's say like, it. Like, yeah, it's like <laughs> stepping into the right side of shoe. <laughs> yeah, right. So you know, I sat in with Muddy, and you know, he even had me sing a song. Wow! I remember because I, I had done twelve-year-old uh, boy. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> and I was getting a big kick out of that because yeah, I, you know, that I yeah. did that tune. And we get off stage. You know, Muddy was just overjoyed. Yeah. And Muddy called me backstage and he said, you know, Duke, I don't know who you are, but if I had you and Fats in my band, I could rule the world. I'm like this That's shaking, awesome, you know. Yeah, I don't think Fats lasted that long. No, either. he didn't. I want to say he lasted maybe a year at the, at the most. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know how long he was there, you know, but it was the only time I saw him with yeah. Fats. You know? I know that Margolin was in there toward the end of the time he, fast. He joined that week. 
Did he? He joined. Wow. That. I saw him audition. <clears throat> that was the only night. You know, he used to be at these jazz, the, the jazz club in, in right. Boston, you know, right. jazz workshop right. for a whole week. So right. I went back and Muddy got me up on stage a minute. I was in the room. He go, Duke from House Full of Blue. He said, come House on up here. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, but, the, but the last night, the Saturday night, uh, Bob had come in and he was auditioning. Right. So I didn't sit in because Bob came up on stage right. and, and yeah. he got the job. Yeah. I never mentioned or even let on that uh, that I was interested in playing with Muddy. Of course I was, but all the guys in the room full were sensing this <clears> and going, Duke, you don't you don't want to do you don't want to play just Chicago blues. You you, you play swing and you play R and B and you don't want to you know yeah, you don't want to limit yourself. <laughs> And with Muddy, that's very tempting, though. Yeah. That's pretty tempting, man. <laughs> yeah, of course it was, yes, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I saw the very first time I saw Muddy was the week, the weekend that Fats joined the band. Wow. He had, he, it was the literally the next night because I saw him. He had uh, Pee Wee and Sammy. Oh, yeah. Well, the first band. time I saw him. Yeah. That was a great And then band. the next night, Fats came down and auditioned because I guess Sammy took off or something or got fired. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Is that a trip? Yeah, yeah. I used to love Sammy. Yeah. Oh, he was awesome, man. Sammy Lawhorn, we're talking about. Yes, Sammy Lawhorn. That's right. This isn't. This is kind of a (laughs) kind of an in in uh, in. um, What would be the word? (laughs) You have to know the lingo of who we're talking about. Yeah, it's like a backstage conversation. Yeah. So tell me how uh, how you started Roomful because. uh, I mean, you were you were the founder of it, and uh, and you were there. You were in there ten years, or was it longer? Twelve years. Twelve years from '67. And it was to it was you. It was uh, uh, Franny, Frank, Christina. The original band was myself, Al Copley, right? Frank, Christina, and Larry Paduzzi was the bass player. Oh, great, okay, great bass player. All right, and. Uh, we were a hot little band, teenage band. I mean, really? we were really. Wow. I got now video. I mean, uh, tapes that were uh, like two uh, four-track tapes that were made in Al Copley's Copley's living room, where he had a, a baby grand piano. Right, and uh, they're pretty amazing for how old we were. We immediately were in, picked up on playing slow blues grooves and really like. You know, not you know, not rushing things. Right. You know, having right. that laid back, that relaxed sound. Yeah. And we all realized that that was a big part of blues. You know, yeah. so uh, so it was us four guys. But then we we got a harmonica player. This guy Fred Jackson, mm-hmm. who was a very good acoustic player, mm-hmm. and he was part of this jug band group that was the guys that turned me on to blues. A guy named Tony Lamb who sang played acoustic guitar, and he played harp also. And, um, and uh, well, the, there was another guy, but he was never in my band, Dave Toronto, who was really the person responsible for sitting me down and making me listen to everybody and just showing me everything, you know, and then telling me to go to the 
Newport Folk Festival. Wow. Um, so anyway, you know, so it was, yeah, uh, Tony Lamb singing and occasionally playing harp, Fred Jackson playing harp, Al Copley on piano, Larry Peduzzi, Frank Christina, and myself. And that band lasted a few years. And uh, Tony got drafted into the Army, so that was the end of him, and that's where I began singing. Right uh-huh. there. Okay. And, and there were different versions of the band. At one point, uh, Greg Piccolo was in it, and he sang and played harp. He was a harp really? player. Really? Yeah. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, and he was a, a good... He, Greg's one of those people that can pick up an instrument mm-hmm. and get really proficient on I it. I know that, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. which, he, you know, he used to play flute when he was a kid, and he, you know, he played tenor and alto sax. Right. And he, you know, harp, uh, organ, and... Yeah, you know, I knew he learned guitar. And guitar, too, Not that yes. long ago and really got good on it. Yeah, well, he was playing guitar was early he? on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but not in bands so much, right. you know. Right, But, you know. So anyway, you know, he played with us for a little while. So we had different variations after Tony Lamb went was to... Was it called Roomful of Blues? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah right. the earliest band was called Roomful. Yeah. And then I discovered... 78s and junk shops and stuff. And then I started finding out that some of the record stores in like in the ghetto in Boston and w- would have 78s in their basement. Mm. So I started learning about Amos Milburn and, and I had learned about Joe Turner early because he had albums. Yeah, the but Southwest a guys. Yeah. A lot of these guys just were on 78s. Right. You know, now they're on you know compilation albums. All right. So we are back with Duke Robillard here and hearing very many very fascinating stories. Were you on the record with uh, the, the T-Birds did that record? I don't even think it was a record. I think it was just a recording you guys did with the T-Birds. And you were in the band, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, the first, the one that didn't get released. I right, got, it didn't, didn't get it released. finally get released? It finally got released, but it took Yes, forever. that's what, that happened right after we recorded our first album because we were in the studio telling, you know, Joel Dorn and Doc Pumps, hey, you got to hear the T-Birds. We just, you know, we just met them and they're unbelievable. You know, you got to come hear them, you know. Right. So it, they did. Yeah. Well, Doc did. He would actually come down to Rhode Island and, and hear the T-Birds, uh, you know, at the Knickerbocker at Lupo's or someplace down there. And, uh, you know, he agreed that, you know, they needed to get recorded. But I don't know what went wrong. I think maybe they weren't quite happy with, it wasn't the sound they were looking for in that studio. And I know something, for some reason, something didn't quite jive. I don't know what it was. If it was musical business, I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, yeah, we were around then and they, they used our horns on, on some of the tracks. And mm-hmm. I think Al Copley played on some of it. Now, was that recorded in Austin or was that recorded? No, that was in New York. Oh, that was in New York. Yeah, okay. I, I believe it's the same studio that yeah. we recorded in on okay. 57th Street. Yeah, so you guys kind of tried to help get them signed. In oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, we were going, yeah, this is great. Maybe we can tour together. Right. <laughs> because we were already doing that. We were well, you guys were touring together? Du- du- not touring, but doing double gigs double bills. in New England. Yeah. Oh, you know? okay. So, so you were kind of helping them get... Some new territory, basically. Yeah, and they got us down to Austin. We we finally got down to Austin while I was in the band. Uh, we had played, we we got the 
New Orleans Jazz Festival in 1978. So since we were already there, we we went over to to, to Texas and played a, a bunch of cities in Texas and did uh, Soap Creek Saloon maybe or Broken Spoke or what's what I think it was called Soap Creek Saloon. Mm -hmm. It was a big old dance hall. Right. And uh, I think we did it with the T Birds, I believe. I know oh. that's where we met Stevie. You okay. Know, now, Stevie was Antones had, open at that point? I think it was. Okay. I think, but I, I can't say yeah. for sure. Was know? that the only time you played Austin with? With, 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 well, you know, I think it was, but I'm not positive. But I think it, I think it was. But I immediately, when I left, I started going back with my trio to right. to uh, Antones. Right. You know, and uh, yeah, he would have us quite often as much yeah. as we could get down to Texas. Right. So, so in nine, what year was it that you left Roomful? It was uh, October of 1979. Okay. And what prompted that? Well, a Tired of band leading? A, a lot of things. Well, you know, as all bands go, there, you know, becomes some internal stuff, you know. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, Doug had left the band and. Oh, and, I didn't know that. Uh, and, you know, we tried different things. We added another baritone player and trombone, Carl Korff, who was in the in the band uh, later. And, um, uh, and gigs weren't quite as plentiful at that point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we would try and try to get another record deal, but it was really... Hmm. Uh, it, we just weren't getting into it. It's kind of frustrating, yeah. It was very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. And then we had a few business internal things between a couple of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that kind of took a lot of life out of it, the whole idea of music. You know, for right, me, you know, right. I'm not a businessman. That's, that's kind of sad when that happens. Yeah. It, and it's it really so much is. of a part of the, of the music business, unfortunately. But we had a friend who... Uh, had some money and he wanted to record us. Uh -huh. And at that time, I was writing uh, a lot of the band's material. So he wanted to record us and mostly record my material, which was the same kind of music. It was rhythm and blues mm -hmm. and in uh, blues, you know, it was, it was horn based R&B, you know, right. 50 style R&B. So, um, uh, there was a problem between, I'm not going to mention names, but one of the guys had a serious problem with, he the guy that was putting up the money wanted to call him Duke Robillard's Room Full of Blues. Oh, and, and he had a problem with that? He, yeah, yeah. And That's convinced kind of, the it, other guys, too, that that wasn't a good idea. It's and kind now, of strange, because you were the band leader. <laughs> I, I, you know, I really was. And, yeah, and, and, and it was and really your baby from the did, start. You know? Yeah, it was your I, baby from the start. But, you know, it, you know, it was a band. I mean, it was a real band. It wasn't yeah. like I, and I'm no, I, I'm a musical, I can be a musical band leader. I'm not mm -hmm. a boss and I'm not a, uh, a business person at yeah. all. Yeah. So Greg always led the business and yeah. I, and I led the music. Right. And uh, we always agreed on things, so it was never a problem, but there always comes a time where things, 
people ideas differ. And I didn't care about my name being in front of the band. Right. That wasn't my idea. That wasn't your idea, yeah. You know, but but I didn't I couldn't say that I hated the idea, but it, it didn't mean it didn't one mean way or another. Right. If it wasn't it there, that, that didn't mean shit to me really. Now now here's another one I want to ask because I can't remember what year the Blues Brothers came out. <laughs> but <laughs> this is too good a story not to mention. But uh, you guys were originally going to be, or or you were offered the Blues Brothers. Game. Well, we would be considered as one of the three people. Double McClinton's band. Oh, interesting. Roomful of Blues, or they would put a band together right. with, with, you know, famous right. players, which is what they did. But I basically turned them down, and I suppose, well, they... I had a long this is a good story. day. I had a long day with John and uh, and and Dan. Right. And you know, they were great and uh, you know, God bless Dan Aykroyd. He's he's a, a great guy. And you know, but I spent the day with him and you know, really getting to know him. Yeah. And uh and I have nothing against John except for him, you know, kind of proclaiming that he's a a real blues singer, you know, uh, and he got very hey heavy man, with me. They had the biggest selling blues album oh. of all time. So he proved me wrong. <laughs> he definitely proved me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he outsold everybody. He did. He did. He had a little help too, though. Yes, I'm sure he did. <laughs> yes, Saturday. It's this thing called Saturday Night Live. No, but I mean, even the players in this band and oh, the right, in right, the movie. Right. I mean, Cap Calloway, Hell you know, yeah. Aretha Franklin. Right. Yeah, you know, he had Matt a little Guitar bit of help. Murphy, yeah. you know. Ray Charles. Ray Charles. You know. James Brown. Right, <laughs> <laughs> James Brown. I mean, what more could you ask? Yeah. For? But anyway, you know, I wasn't against the whole idea, except John spent, I spent the whole day with him. And he spent the whole day convincing me that he was really serious about, and it wasn't comedy, and he was really serious about the blues, and he loved the blues, and I believed him. Right. You know. Until the gig. <laughs> until the gig. And within five minutes of getting on stage, he pops open a Heineken on stage, and this is at the Lone Star Cafe where right. that wall is, the bar is there. Right. I mean, there was hardly any room for people in the middle. And, you know, he had somebody get him a, a, a throw him a beer, and he right. started, he took, he opened it, and he started squirting, shaking it up and squirting the audience with beer. And, and then he's doing push-ups on the stage in front of me. And I'm going... I thought this was going to be a serious gig, you know? I thought you were a serious blues singer. Yeah, I mean, I just, he told me it, would, it wouldn't be comedy, you know? And, uh, you oh know, my God. so, you know, I mean, Dan was just, you know, playing along with it and, right. and playing and, right. you know, and, did he you was, say he like knocked over your guitar or sprayed beer on it or something? Well, no, I, yeah. I was playing a cow, uh, those $20 Stella cowboy guitars. Right. And I put a Diarmond pickup on it, and it sounded great. Yeah. It just sounded like a real low-down blues yeah. guitar. And he was mad because I was using that. And and he told me that uh, there were, uh, in the, uh, oh, oh, God, what's his name? Oh, I can't think of the other guitar player who's in the audience. Uh, from the D.C. area. Uh, uh, Thackeray? No, no. 
Oh, uh, uh, Danny Gap? Danny Gap? No, no, no. This one is more of a blues guitar player. Oh, uh, Tom Principato? Not Principato. Really? Okay. Uh, you, know, you know who I mean, but... Mm -hmm. I can't think of that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I'm apologizing to him as much as anyone, but uh, we know who you are. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just you know, I'm 75 now. That's you know? right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he had told John that he had Magic Sam's white Stratocaster. Oh, Radcliffe, Jimmy, uh, uh, Bobby, Bobby Radcliffe, Bobby Radcliffe, yes. right? Bobby Radcliffe. So, so you know, he kept saying, "Man, do one of you play Radcliffe's?" Uh, Magic Sam guitar, you know. I said, look, I, I, I love this. This sounds great. It's authentic. And he goes, you're, you're embarrassing me with that guitar, you know. And Whoa! Yeah, yeah, because it was a toy guitar, kind of a toy guitar. Whoa. But it sounded good. You know, yeah, I was yeah. playing it well. Right. So so anyway, people started throwing beer, beer back up on us, spraying it and shooting us. Right. I got a white silk suit. Oh I got my my, the God. basement of Filing's basement from it was from Neiman Marcus. Right. The most expensive. I mean, I got it really cheap. Right. It was, but you still, know, yeah. It was the most expensive suit I ever had. And I wore it to that gig because it's just right. a big gig. Right. You know, white silk and and it's beer. And Mixed oh, drinks going all over. <laughs> then I, my amplifier was a three ten Fender basement, which right. is one of the rare. Very rare, yeah. You know, Very rare. And it's going on my amp. You know, luckily it didn't short it out, but it's going on my guitar, my suit, my amp. You know, so if, at, at that point, I just said, You'd had I just can't take this anymore. Oh, my God. I said, John, get Magic Sam's guitar up here because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not here. Yeah. <laughs> and I jumped up the stage and I watched the show from uh, on the street, you know, right, in, in the right. big window, you know. Oh, my God. Uh, and John came out and we, we had a big argument on right. the street. You'll never play the blues again. <laughs> You'll never play in this town again. I got contracted. You need me. Oh, and, you know, we would, you know, uh, I don't need you. That's but by that time, I was good and drunk because I was standing <laughs> on the sidewalk. You know, and, and, and uh, Ackroyd's standing next to him, but I'm going, right. I don't need you, Belushi. And, and Ackroyd goes to him. He's right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, me and John just didn't. Oh, know. that's I'm great, sure man. if he had lived and time passed, we right. would have been, been fine. You know? But it was just <laughs> really. What a story. But of man. course, the room full weren't too happy with me because I oh, just you turned totally it down? shot a hole Well, jeez, what you the know? hell are you going to do, man? Well, I mean, you know. Yeah. You know, but it was. If it did happen, it would have been a shot for them. But I, just, I don't know. Matt Murphy told me he respected me because because I didn't you said do, no. You yeah, know? yeah. Interesting. You know, wow. it's you know. Yeah, that's interesting. They, they. Well, you know, they never actually made an offer. I didn't give him a chance because right. of that. <laughs> you know, but he really did it, not me. <laughs> well, hell yeah. But the funny thing is, I never. You know, we never got to know. How much money we would have made? Oh, know? I know. I but mean, still, no money. Well, yeah, I, you know, I, that wasn't my bag. I mean, no. it's a fine thing. I'm no. glad they're all, you know that those guys are all doing well and they can still well, do gigs and make money. But it wasn't my. I bag. respect you for turning it down. I, 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 I'm just too serious a guy. Yeah. Not that yeah. I don't have a sense well, of humor. Well, you're serious but. about the music is the bottom line, and you know, I mean, um, 
So, so the other one I should bring up because it's kind of a similar deal is the Bob Dylan thing. Oh. And that was sort of a similar situation, I guess, right? Well, I, I found out, I don't know if I should tell the true story or not, but uh, he got, I brought Loreen, my wife, out on the right. road. The act, we did one long tour and pretty long tour and it went great. He was patting me in the back yeah. every night saying, this is great, I'm so happy. The band was happy because we all brought our volume down, we were playing mm -hmm. soft. We're going, this is a new direction for the band, it's a great thing, you know. And so, and I was enjoying it. I was thinking, I'm gonna probably be here forever. Right. You know, because. And, and you'd already recorded with him a couple times. I recorded that famous album, the Time Out of Mind album right. with him, right. you know. And so, you know, and he doesn't mind if you go play your own gigs when you're not working with him. So, right. you know. Were you on salary when you do that? Uh, not off. He only pays you when you work. Just when you work. Oh, maybe, maybe some yeah. of the guys. I was new. Yeah. So, right. uh, you know. Right. Maybe if you play with him for years and you yeah. prove you're going to stay. Right. But um, what happened was we went back and uh, we rehearsed and he was changing some some of the music around. He wanted some different things that were, he was changing the arrangements and some of them were a little, I don't know, they didn't make sense to me, but right. you know, I was trying to please him and of course, you know, sure. trying to do whatever he wanted. Right. And, uh, because, I mean, it was all fun music to play. Mm -hmm. But he, I, I had asked if I could bring my wife, and they checked with the management, and they asked Bob, and it was okay that I could bring my wife on the road for like three or four days. Right. You know, and ride in the band bus. And the tour was going to be how long? It was probably a couple of months, but it was yeah. only a few couple days. Right. At the beginning right. of it. Right. And for some reason... The idea, now I've talked to a bunch of other guitar players mm -hmm. that have been with him, and he is weird about, like, if your allegiance is to your woman ah, instead of him. And it seems to be the thing that happened, which I didn't really learn for quite a while <clears throat> after. But uh, he, for better, for, in the dressing room, he forbid her from being anywhere where he could see her in the back, which is a giant, you know, outdoor uh, stadium place, you know. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he didn't want to see her anywhere. So she was like, I don't know where to be. I That's terrible. Yeah. And of course it's terrible. Yeah. And she wasn't like, you know, like trying to, she's not even a fan of this. So, Maureen? You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I know. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, so we, we couldn't figure out what to make of it. So, but he started getting really mad at me on yeah. stage, swearing yeah. at me. Yeah. It's really saying horrible things to me after the gig and on stage and insulting wow. me, wow. telling me there are 15 year olds that play better than me. I mean, I said, and you know what I said to that? I said, I know, Bob, I teach him online. <laughs> I'm lining them up to be your next guitar players. <laughs> but anyway, you know, it just got to be so intense yeah. and so insulting. Well, yeah, that say, I was 65 at that in yeah. that year. Yeah. Now, man, I'm 65 years old. I'm not going to take this shit. Right. I mean, if I was 20 and I was desperate to right. get somewhere, right. yeah, maybe I would. 
you know, but I'm 65, man. My career is almost over. That's yeah. the last thing I want is to be somebody like yell at me for for a, for a nonsense reason. Right, right. You know? so, so, so now, so you had heard from other people that this was kind of a recurring thing. Well, I found out later as far as the woman thing. The a woman few thing, of people yeah. that were his guitar players mm -hmm. decades before. That you know, when I started meeting people who were in the club, the club, yeah, the Bob Dylan guitar yeah. player club, yeah, <laughs> that some of these things popped up. Interesting. You know? So, wow. I know, I'm, I'm probably, I'll probably be assassinated for saying this. No, you won't. Uh, but, this, uh, this won't get to Bob Dylan. I promise. Man, you, never, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know. So, but anyway, so yeah. I, I, I had to leave. I planned yeah. on. Staying, finishing yeah. the job out until he was either dead or stopped touring. I really wanted <laughs> just, to, yeah, because I I did enjoy it. the music and right. I enjoyed the band, right. and I could still do my own thing. Which yeah. if I could still make records and do short tours, right, I I was happy. Now, know? didn't you say you played on one record of his where you and the producer kind of got into it, and then he ended up Daniel Lenoir. Yeah, yeah and he that was up, the one record I played on. Oh, that was the one. Yeah, and okay. he was on my side on that. Oh, was he? Oh, Dylan yeah. was. Yeah, Dylan. Yeah, Dylan was. Yeah. yeah. But Daniel Lenoir was doing some weird stuff. Well, he wanted to be the guitar player. That oh, I was, see. I got you. There was lots of guitar players yeah. on that record. Yeah. But I, he put me where Daniel, Daniel was sitting, which was right next to him. Ah. And, you know, so I would feed off him. You know, that's right. what he wanted me to do. It's just right. that's how, what he wants people to do is... Feed you off know, a Dylan, like, 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 yeah. like a blues musician or a jazz right. musician, right? You know, just follow them and respond, right? And that's what I love about Dylan is that that's what he wants is for you to respond. He doesn't right. want some perfect arrangement, you know. Now, does was he doing the thing when you were working with him before, where he would like basically completely reconstruct his songs? Oh yeah, right in the studio, like just boom, okay. I'm switching from guitar to piano, and I'm going to change the groove, the key, the melody. <laughs> so all of his old songs basically were like that. He would do that. Yeah, he would do that. He did that for years, and I yeah. think he kind of went back to closer to what they were. But mm -hmm. that, but in the live performance, yeah. But when he's recording, he'll if something isn't working, like he'll he'll know pretty soon yeah. within a couple, two or three tries that it's it's not suiting him, and so he'll give it a whole new dressing you know? yeah so in a lot of ways he's very much of a you know like the vibe of the moment kind oh of. Yeah. yeah yeah you know i have to tell you too one I, you'd be the one person i'd tell this to because you, <laughs> you've worked with Lowell, yeah and you love Lowell like right. i do yeah there was one time there was one tune we were doing and it was a blues and he decided he was going to play guitar and he picked up an electric guitar and he sounded like Lowell. Really? Yeah. I mean, wow. and, you know, in a, in a kind of an odd Bob Dylan way. Right, He's, right. He sounded kind of, he had a kind of groove thing like like Lowell and I was like, yeah! <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Well, he's hip to all those guys. Of course. Yeah, he's hip to all of but, them. But that version of it didn't make the record, but well, uh, but I just thought it was cool. That, that is did cool. It, That's know? super cool. Yeah, because we all know Lowell doesn't get the credit. He does he not deserves. get the credit he deserved, not at all. No, and he was one of those guys. I mean, speaking of Lowell, have you ever heard a, a song called "Prison Blues" by him? 
I believe I have it, but I can't remember. I'll send it, it. to Is you. It, it, he's it's, playing electric guitar just with his brother. Is yes, that it? Yeah. and it's mind blowing. It's like Eddie Taylor just totally got oh, yeah. all of his stuff. From yeah, that. yeah, he really did. So um, I wanted to also ask you about because uh, you got offered. You told me you got offered the gig to uh, to Van Morrison's band as band leader. Well, I didn't get offered. I had a meeting with him. Okay. And they they wanted to know if I was interested. Right. And I told his manager that it, I, I don't think that'd be a job. It, he's got a big band. Too many people. He's got a lot of people. And I, I, I'm not a bossy guy, like you right, say. You know, right. I'm, I'm a music guy, but I yeah. just don't think I could be telling all these people yeah. what to do. It, it, I know it, somebody that just you know. lost that gig. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And it was like basically all the guys that had been in the band had been in there for years, oh. and they didn't want a new guy coming. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh boy, that's what I would have walked in. That's what I'm saying. You yeah. would have walked in. <laughs> but, but, but you, you know, told me he loved you, man. He well, just, the thing is, is that when he found out that I made records with Jimmy Witherspoon, right, and I played right. with him, and Joe, I played with Joe Turner, and, right. And, Jay uh, McShann. And then, and, yeah, Jay McShann. Yeah. And then uh, uh, played with Scott Hamilton and was a close friend of Scott Hamilton oh, and made records yeah. with him. He loved Scott's playing. So, like, you know, I, I was talking all the shit he loves. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, he, it, it doesn't really show up in his music that that's, but that seems to be the what he loves the most. Well, he loves jazz. R&B, jazz, yeah. yeah. He likes, you know, swing jazz. Yeah. 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 So, you know, he he was fascinated and he just wanted to talk to me. He's supposed to go on and his manager had to pull him away. Really? We're, we're talking wow. about Minoni and, yeah. you know, everybody, you know, all the blue shouters, you know. In fact, when he got on stage, he was singing tunes and he was, you know, calling out names, you know, Joe Turner, you know, and, you know, stuff like that. So he was really inspired. Yeah. Yeah. By the conversation. Yeah. But, uh, and he recently just, a couple weeks ago played in Providence and I heard he was unbelievable. Wow. He really, man, yeah. his chops are in, you know, really oh, yeah. good yeah. shape. Yeah, he's never lost a thing before. Yeah, I don't know how that happens. I want to get into a lot of the guys that maybe, some of them are extremely famous and some of them are a little less so, but they're all icons to, you know, we, to to us. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, and uh, I, last time uh, we worked together, I remember you were telling me about, uh, a BB and how nice BB was to you. Yeah, well, everybody everybody knows that he's he's nice to everybody. I mean, yeah, and he's always been supportive of me. And the first time I heard him was in about nineteen. I, I met him. I mean, and heard him live was I think was Roomful in probably about seventy four. I think, mm -hmm. uh, or maybe it was earlier. I think it was seventy two or. Okay. Anyway, we played in Suffolk Downs uh, in, in Boston, opening for him with Roomful, the early horn band. And, uh, and he came up to me after the show. He came looking for me. Yeah, and he came walking up to me. Yeah. You know, and, and before yeah. he even introduced himself, he goes, you know, you remind me of my favorite guitar player, Wild Bill Jennings. You know, and I went like, I almost shit my pants right there. Well, yeah. like, you know, like, that's the first thing he said to yeah. me. And he goes, hi, I'm B.B. King. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I'm, you know, I, I 
I, I was just choking, you know? Yeah. But I mean, he's always been supportive and telling me that, you know, what he's thought of my playing and that I remind him. In fact, one time we were playing at the Louis Jordan, uh, uh, the, the uh, Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. and when they were inducting Louis Jordan and they had me play and, uh, and they also had BB and a bunch of great artists. But anyway, uh, a after we had played, we were on stage just, you know, bullshitting some of the musicians and, and BB said, you know, the other night I was sitting on my bus and, uh, and I put in your instructional video, you know, and he goes, you know, and it was just like all the old guys were sitting around and all playing and you were playing every one of their styles and it was just like they were there. Well, you know, wow, and, and, what and, and a compliment, going, man. And, and he goes, Romillard, I'm talking to you. And I, I'm just going, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, and my drum is going, yeah, I heard that. I heard that. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> that is one hell of a compliment. Well, that's true, man. I mean, you really... I used I to mean, be. I'm yeah. less now. But. Well, but I'm saying, you know, I mean, there's two guys that I think have the capability that you and Billy Flynn, to me, are the two guys. Oh, Billy. That just He's really, one. you guys both really have that capability of of playing the vibe of whoever you're playing like. I, and you the know, tone and, and sound. It, it just takes you years and years of soaking up the music. To me, yeah, I always tell I everybody, listening forever. 90%. So much of the time. Yep. Having that, if you don't have yep. that sound in your head, you have to you're have never going to play it. If you Amen. don't have it, like, when you're hearing it, like it's you doing it. Right. And you can only do that by listening to it a million times. Amen. You know, you know? Amen. and then you don't have to bother once you, if you've got the ability to play, you don't have to bother to learn somebody's thing note for note. Right. You can You already got the recall. You can play it like like it's them improvising it. That's right. the thing. You know, I mean right. I guess not everybody can learn to do that, but I think spending the time listening is Amen. Where that comes from. Plus just having the natural talent, of course. Right. But but uh, yeah, Billy has always been one of my favorite guitar players. And I was so happy when you called me up the other yeah, day good. Uh, because I'm thinking, oh, you know, I never get a chance to play with Billy and I know that we think alike. And yeah. it was funny, like in the middle of the first song I said, well, you know, when we started, right. I, I was I was talking to people right. when I ran up there. I didn't even realize there wasn't drums and bass on stage. <laughs> I just sat down and I wouldn't even look around because it was such a surprise. Right. We just started playing and went, oh, there's three of us up here. You know, finally four of us when yeah. Jim came up. But uh, but then that started me to think, yeah, we know exactly the sound and the level and the intensity right. and uh, where, where to lay back and like we just fit together like that immediately right you know? yeah I, I was just so happy that you know yeah. that that happened you know well it's interesting because when you play like that it's such a uh you know everyone has to be so aware of time to do oh that. yeah you know when you don't have those ba the bass and drums locking oh, yeah. in it's like everyone really has to be aware of that to make it i started you know. being like super focused on that and a little scared and then by the time, uh, you know, by the time uh, 
Joe cut loose. Right. You know, right. right. And he got really comfortable. Then he it did. was like he got really the, rocking, yeah. you know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And, and then with Oscar, started. it was the same thing. Yeah, and you and Joe sounded great together. Uh, it was great. Well, it was you really know, a fun game. We've known each other just from the Just from the get go, you know, Joe Beard, we're talking about. Yeah. And Oscar Wilson. Yeah. yeah. And, and oh, that's, yeah. That's who I brought up here on this show. Uh, and Oscar, show. Man. Yeah. First time I heard him, I get, God damn, I want him in my pick. I know. <laughs> I know. He can sound like, he, again, he's like vocally what you guys are yeah. on guitar. Yes, he, he is. He really is. He's vocally what you guys are on guitar. Well, you know, when he did the, the Percy Mayfield tune the other night and at the Eureka Theater, it just kind of wigged me out because... You know, Percy Mayfield has a really distinctive sound to his voice. Sure does. And he pulled that off so good. I mean, and, and the, the way those guys were playing, everybody's playing like super laid back. Right. And it, it was like, wow, these guys actually do it right. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, when I say right, I mean the way, the, in the style. It's like, in the as style. If, yeah. As if nothing ever changed. Right. You know? Right. Which that's I and just it's such that. a rarity. Now, <laughs> it is it's really such a rarity. a rarity. Yeah. So uh the other guys I wanted to talk about, because you've recorded with so many people of uh, the old timers. And you know, I mean the, the, the albums I think about uh offhand are the ones you did with Johnny Adams, the Percy Mayfield tribute. Oh, oh yeah. Which is one of my favorite records. Oh, that was yeah. So much fun. With Walter Washington and you? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think John Cleary, I believe, was on was the Was Cleary on it? Wow. I, it's either okay. him or Dr. John. And I'm yeah. going back as I've Might done, have been both. I've done a few yeah. of those records. Uh, we did the Johnny Adams one of Doc Palmer's songs, and that was Dr. John on all of them. Okay. I think it might have been Cleary on that first one. Uh, mm. And uh, it, But all those albums are just... Uh, what a, a great thing to play with Johnny Adams. I'm so glad Scott Billington got, made me the guitar player and Walter, too. That was right. so fun playing right. with Walter. Yeah, that's awesome. We made awesome. a good team. Like, another yeah. one of those, don't talk about it. You know, you don't, you don't have to talk about anything. Just right. Like, what keys to tune in. That's a great <laughs> album, though, man. Yeah, the, the other album that's one of my favorites, I remember that just knocked me out when you put it out, was the... Uh, I want to say it was 1988 or 89 you did Swing, right? With Scott Hamilton? Uh, 86. Or 86? 85 or 6. Okay. One of those. And stories. I remember we listened to that all the time in the van in 1989 when I was playing with Sue Foley. And we listened to that constantly. Well, you know, yeah, I, that was That's your Jennings band. album in my Yeah, in my yeah, mind. yeah. Yeah. That, his band was backing us up on that. Scott's mm -hmm. band at the time, his New York band. And those guys, they're just, they're another one of those bands that play like it is that time period. Right. Although Scott was always aware of keeping up with things, but not necessarily going in that direction, but being aware of what was happening. So you could tell that he was up on, you know, what was happening now. But it, it didn't so much... It only reflected that he knew about it. It didn't reflect in his personal playing, you know. Right. So his whole band was like that. I mean, they they did things stylistically like people did, and no jazz musicians were really doing that at that time. Right. In exactly. The 80s, you know? Exactly. You know? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, they did a wonderful job, and that's a big part of why that record is so good. It's now, is that a rounder? That's on rounder. Yeah. Right. Okay. And the Johnny Adams was rounder. 
That was rounder too, yeah. 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 yeah, so you did quite a few rounder ones, as I recall, early on. You did a lot oh, of yeah. Antones, too. Yeah. I, you did uh, a ton of Antones, didn't you? I did, but, you know, I was just called in to do a session, sometimes just overdub and... and uh, was the Snooky in overdub? Snooky that was Brown? overdub. I didn't oh, see him. Oh, okay. I didn't, All right. I didn't get to play him with yeah. him or talk to him. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, even a Pine Top one I did as overdubs, but I've done live with Pine Top too. Right, right. And uh, um, I, I, I did a Kim Wilson album as overdubs. I, I'm trying to think if I recorded any of the stuff live with Kim. I think in his first couple albums, uh-huh. uh, the, the solo Antone albums, the Tiger Man, and I forget the other one it was called. I did that all over dubs, and I think I mostly did, I think I did them in one day. They finally told me they were going to let me go because I was melting in the the chair. (laughs) I had been in that chair for so many hours. I I like that two albums worth of material. This is in Austin? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. That's brilliant. We did a little bit of live stuff, I think. So you never recorded with the T-Birds? Oh, no, I that did. That was live. The, the yeah. album, uh, okay. uh, Walk That Walk, Talk That Talk. That was okay. all live. That's yeah. all live. All right. So it was more of his solo records. Yeah, his solo yeah. records. Okay. Yeah, because uh, he had recorded most of the tracks for both of them at that point. So, uh, And I guess it was some stuff that he wasn't totally happy with. So Had you uh, re-recorded? He, he had yeah. you re-recorded. Right, okay. But, and, uh, and that was fun. That was it was really fun because they were all guys I like to play with. Right, right. <laughs> Johnny Watson, you know. Right, 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 right. Here's another one: is uh, you had a great story about Lightning Hopkins. Oh, oh. <laughs> up in Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a good memory. Oh, well, no, you had some great stories, man. Lightning, I was up yeah. there playing with uh, the uh, the legendary blues band Muddy Borders. Right, who band. you played with for what a year or something? Yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, and we were up playing. The Montreal Jazz Festival was going on, but we were playing a small club across the street. And I went over to watch Lightman, and you know he was unbelievable. It was just him and a drummer, mm-hmm. and uh, which is my favorite way to hear. Oh Lightman. yeah, yeah, absolutely. You don't want anybody else in there. No, in no, you don't want them to be throwing bass players. <laughs> sometimes. You know, uh, a bass fiddle can be good because yeah. sometimes you can't tell what changed it. Right, mind. exactly. You know? <laughs> He'd love to throw bass players. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you know, uh, I had just seen Lightning and we we got a show right after that right. over at the club. So I uh, we get up on stage and I look out and there's Memphis Slim and Lightning Hopkins sitting in the audience. It better be good, (laughs) you know. So I had just seen Lightning, right? And we start playing slow blues and E, right? right? And so I, I just couldn't help it. I started playing Lightning licks. I mean, I just learned them. I mean, you know, I mean, I knew them, but I wouldn't maybe normally play them there. But but you had him in his head. Yeah, yeah. It made such a big impression on me. I couldn't think of anything else for Lightning Hopkins. And so I started playing his licks, and I finished the song, and he's sitting like the second row in Uh a small club. Yeah. And he goes, go and make Paul Lennon mad. (laughs) 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 I'm going, 
<laughs> Better bring out some different licks. That's right. Better throw some jazz licks in there. Yeah, right. That's great, man. That is great. Now, and, and that same day, I got to play with Slim. Uh -huh. Slim came up and sat in. Right. And uh, and I played my Matt Murphy right. thing, you right. know. And he was, he goes, I gotta, I gotta take you to France. I gotta take you to France. He goes, uh, 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 what's his name from the Hot Club of France there? Use Panassi, I think. Would that be right. his name? He is such a fan of Matt Murphy. If I brought you over there, they'd, they'd flip out. I gotta bring you over to France. And right. That never developed, but he did want me to come to New York with him because he had a, he sent me a letter. To play. And you told me you didn't get it. I didn't get it till six months later because I moved. And a guy saw my name in the guy that lived at my old address saw my name in the paper, and so he brought it down to Lupo's Club and and you know it's guy this letter came for you. How awful! And you know and he said you know I, I want you to come play the week with me at uh, Sweet Basil in New York. And then he said not much bread. <laughs> and he signed it, Memphis Slim, with the S's and dollar sign. Oh, <laughs> I thought great. that was the most That's great. Man. That's thing. beautiful, yeah. <laughs> There'll yeah. be money, but you're not going to get it. <laughs> but, uh, hey, I would have played for free. Well, Slim. sure, man. That would have been something to hear. Um, now, you worked with uh, uh, Jay McShann, at least on oh, one record. Oh, right? many. I've, I've Did done, you? like, three or four records. I think three, I think I played with him and one I produced. Um and I produced all the ones that I played on, too. Right. Uh, there's at least two or three that I played on. Um, and the others were fun. We did those up in Canada with right. my rhythm section and then some added horns from Canada. Right. Uh, and uh, re recreated some of his, of his famous blues, you know, that he did when Charlie Parker was in his band. Right, you know? right. Wow. And he was the best. I mean, yeah, was he was the so, sweetest yeah. person. And he was... And he still crap. had all his chops. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when he started losing his hearing, his time got a little funny because, you know, you had to really listen to him. Right. It, it might change a little because he can't hear you. you right, know? right. So, you know, so that became... I mean, it didn't really... It was still great, but yeah. you just had to be really aware. You know, but um, but when we made those records, he was still he still had his hearing enough that yeah. he was really on top of it. And, um, you know, he would tell you just great stories. He'd be he'd be funny. And he, he was just a you know, he had a great sense of humor and he'd tell all kinds of stories about his band. Yeah. yeah. And the, the bear trap story. And, you know, like uh, yeah, he had a thing about they got a bear trap and whoever when they were on the road, the early band, when they were all young guys, whoever went home with the ugliest woman, the next day when they got on to their seat, they'd have a bear trap sitting next to them. <laughs> That's great, man. And then he gave me some band advice. He goes, you know, you know, when, when you got to pay the band, you know, so what you got to do, you got to make, make a big wad. But put all ones on the outside. <laughs> so, so when you're paying them, you know, they think you all, you've got a big pot of money, right. but it's all ones, you know. That's great. <laughs> That's great, man. Or if they're looking for an advance or something, right. you know. You get creative. <laughs> That's beautiful. The other album, man, that I, that I love is the Roscoe Gordon one you did. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. He's, th those were on Stony Plain, as I recall. Yes, this yeah. Stony yeah. Plain, and he was yeah. in great shape. Yes, he was. You know, he was in really good shape. I was yeah. very surprised. Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite things I ever recorded was he did this ballad for his wife who had passed right. away recently. Right. She's gone, I think it's called. Right. And, man, it was so beautiful. And yep. he sang it twice. He did two vocal takes. They were so perfect that I played them together. You know, mm -hmm. like they used to do the double Oh, the double track, track. Double right, track. right, right. You know, but they usually did that on blues tunes. Right. But it sounded so good together. It was so perfect. Yeah. And he had worked that out yeah. so perfect. So I, I ended up putting some slide guitar on that and trying right. to make it really pretty. Yeah. Because it was such a moving song. To yeah, that is a beautiful song. Yeah. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, he did great on that album. And, and he, he was just really full of energy. Yeah, yeah, he sure was. I got to hear him once, and he was he was spectacular. We did. I want to say 1982, something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, it must yeah. have been great at that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, we did a, a recording. This guy um, that does mastering of uh, audiophile records. He's got an audiophile label out in Kansas somewhere. I oh, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. The Crossroads guy, Chad. Chad, yeah. yeah, Crossroads. Yeah. We did, we, right. he filmed us playing with a few people with Carrie Bell mm -hmm. and, and Roscoe Gordon. Wow. With my band backing everybody up. And there might have been somebody else too. And it was filmed and recorded in like a church. Right, and, right. And That's where I'm he does it. Yeah. What he, if he's ever going to do anything. It was a it. festival. It's called Crossroads Festival. Oh, yeah, I guess that's what yeah. it was. But yeah. I, I got the impression that he was doing it to to have, you know, a document. Like, like a, an archive. Video. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Right. So I hope that comes out. It's well, a, I do too. Be, yeah. Be fun to, yeah. Fun to do. Yeah, that was a fun festival. He'd always get all these old guys yeah. to be part of that. Oh, I think he also had. So, Cephas and Wiggins? Cephas and Wiggins, yeah. I think they were also on that same show. Right. It was really a nice combination. Yeah, yeah. You'd always get, you know, get a lot of the old timers, which yeah. really made those shows special. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was great. I think we ran into, <laughs> I was taking a leak in the bathroom and Little Willie Littlefield was in there. <laughs> Jabbering away. <laughs> he was a character, man. Yeah, I didn't get to know him. Uh, I did see him play a little bit at the festival I was on, uh, but I didn't get to see his whole show, but it was amazing. I love him. And he could still just, play, man. Yeah, yeah, he sounded great. Yeah. And you didn't hear anything about him for the longest well, time. Well, he was in Europe. Oh, would he, was he yeah. living there? He kind of ran away from home. Wow. Yeah, about 1980 or something, he went over to Europe and basically just left his wife in the Bay Area and ended up in Belgium for 10 or 15 years. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. But um, how about Lowell? Did you, ever, did you ever do any gigs with Lowell? I did. I did one great gig with Lowell, uh, which was uh, 1990. It was the Chicago Blues Festival, and it was a tribute to T-Bone Walker. Right. And it was... I didn't know he was on that. Lowell Fulson. Um, Roy Gaines? No. Uh, oh, Roy. I'm 
Now, Grady Gaines' band was on it, but Joe Hughes was his guitar player. Okay. And uh, 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 Otis Rush. Otis was on it, yeah. Otis was right. in, in myself. I think right. we were the three guys. Right. Although, the funniest thing happened is that uh, Wayne Bennett showed up. Right. And I, you know, I met him and knew him from Austin, but I, I, you know, I never got to spend a lot of time with him. And we started playing like, I did a T-Bone jump number that was a big, they did, Grady did a great arrangement of it. It was mm -hmm. you know, a whole big band thing and we were swinging like hell and it, it set Wayne off. He just couldn't stay off stage. So he put his <laughs> guitar on and came out, you know, and, and so, you know, of course, you know, I gave it to him, but he started playing and he wouldn't stop. And then after <laughs> that song ended, he, he started another song and he wouldn't stop. And he couldn't oh, get him no. off the stage because he was just so, you know, pumped up. So you know? pumped, and it was, yeah. And I was really happy. Like, but was great. he playing we great? Got, it was, yeah, it was, of course he was. Yeah, he was yeah, playing yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. But, you know, but they, you know, time constraints of festivals, right, right. you know. So they go, okay, yeah. how can we get Wayne off? You know? That's funny, man. <laughs> they needed the game. <laughs> do you do you know his wife by any chance? No. You know, I, I I had a funny thing happen, and it was when I was I was home, but I was on my, I had to go somewhere, and his wife had called me after he had died, and she was really upset. And she said, "I'm afraid that Wayne's gonna just fade away out of people's consciousness." Yeah. And you know, can you do anything to help? Uh, keep his his name alive, and mm -hmm. and I'll go. I'll do anything I can. I'll talk about him, and and uh, I'll I'll talk about him in interviews, and and you know now I'm thinking, you know I'm in the middle of writing my book, and of course right. I'm going to talk about all my favorite guitar shirts, sure, and he's definitely one of them. Yeah. So at that point, I wasn't writing a book, so I didn't tell her about that. But well, he is in Summer of Soul, you know. Oh, that's right, he is. Yeah. I saw it. He yeah. backs up Mahalia Jackson. Yes. Yep. That's right. Yep. Oh, man. He has a bad one. But now, how about Gate? Gate. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got, to, I got to Gate Mouth Brown. You know, he's one of my real idols. And there was a period where... He was like one guy I was concentrating on learning his style. Right. And it was right in a period where I played the New Orleans Jazz Festival. Mm -hmm. And I played Tipitinas at the same time with Roomful. Mm -hmm. And Gabe came out and we did Okie Dokie Stomp, the whole arrangement, you know. And I played every note just like him. And he, he, he was standing there next to this woman who happened to be my girlfriend. Uh -huh. And he was telling her, he is copying me. And, you know, like, and, you know, so she told me that, of course. And I said, you know, I went, well, over, yeah. I went over and I said, I, I mean it in total tribute to you because it can't be any better. So right. I didn't try to change it. I try to play every note like you do because there's nobody that can play it. You know, that's right. it. That's the best you can play that. Right. You know? Exactly. Which How did he it, take it? Uh, he, he ended up loving me later, but he, I think he still stayed mad at me for a little while. <laughs> Robert Jr. did the same thing. Did know? he? He told me at uh, Blues Awards, you're stealing my legs. And, you know, and, and that, that's after he knew me and sat in with me. And that is so loved weird, it that man. I played uh, 
I'm confessing and I love you. He loved that song. He right. played it with me. And, right. You know, but but he just all of a sudden one day, got, you know, just got a was in a bad mood and just and started accusing me. I said, yes, you are right. I'm I am. You. I, I said, I'm paying tribute to you right. because right. you are the best. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know. That's so But funny. they always end up being happy that right. you're you doing that. That you're that. remembering them. Yeah. Yeah. 